So welcome everyone to the November 11th, I mean November 8th, 2018 version of the Science Fiction Club. Okay, here we are on the new Zoom platform, which uh, isn't as new as it was, but it's still pretty cool. And so we're going to start with uh, people going through their books. And uh, one at a time, whoever wants to start, we can uh, draw lots or, well, what we did last time was it worked out worked out fine. So uh, whoever wants to take a shot first, it's as long as we all get a chance, it doesn't matter. So whoever wants to get a start. All right, I'll start first, if, everybody, if you don't mind. Um, I read a book. Well, actually, I read two books. The first one was called The Rising Sea. I'm not sure you would consider it science fiction, so I won't discuss it, except to say that it had to do with the oceans rising all over the world because the Chinese were trying to mine a, a very rare mineral, and they released tons of water under the earth that was spilling out and raising seas all around. So I don't know if you would consider that to be science fiction or not. And well, then, it's uh, it's a thriller to yeah, be sure. A, that's that's a, it does have science fiction elements. That, that's the Clive Kessler, Kessler book, right? Yes, yeah, it is. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it also involved robots. You know, uh, the Chinese um, guy who was working with the Chinese government to try to take over the world. You know, with his metal, he was making these these robots that looked exactly like humans and. And they, and they were doing mining uh, on the bed of the sea when the thing when the thing exploded and everything. So it had that it's another element of science fiction. But the actual book that I read, which is I guess real science fiction, is called Dark Eden by Chris Beckett. I think his name is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's published a fair bit in Asimov's uh, when I used to read it. He was in there quite a bit. I think he has this. I think he has two other books having to do with Eden, but I think Dark Eden was the first one, and basically it's rather interesting. It takes place on this planet where there's no light, no no external light from sunshine, and all the animals and trees and everything give off their own light. And uh, there's a group of humans that arrived there, apparently a spaceship landed there and wasn't able to take off or try to take off, and Three or four of them remained, and they and they uh, started a whole gener- generation after generation of humans who lived as a family, and they lived around the area where the where the ship had had first landed, with the hope that or the promise that they had given them that Earth would come and get them, and they developed a whole culture. But the culture was was a Stone Age culture. They they're hunter and gatherers. Uh, they hunted the, the various varieties of animals there and, and, and rooted for plants and everything. And they kept alive their, the remembrance of Earth, and they had certain relics from that ship. But there was a one person among them uh, who was not happy. He felt that we needed that they needed to get out, break their old customs, and start exploring. Uh, there was an area that was frozen. Um, which he felt if they could cross it, there would be more more areas of the of the of the plants to live in and spread out in, and there was a lot of resistance on the part of the people to do that. Finally, he got a few people together and they and, and they did escape. They did go over the uh, over this frozen area. Uh, they learned to domesticate 
the native deer there, which which had lanterns for for noses and lit, lit and lit the way, uh, <laughs> like Rudolph. Uh-huh, I was just I thinking, know, yeah. Not, but they certainly did, provided a lot of light, uh, and they eventually um, made it over and, and found a much broader, large area of forests and everything. And at the end, they discovered the the ship, which they had hoped had managed to get back to the Earth, and apparently it had crashed, and they never left. And then ended up realizing they had to forget about their dreams of going back to Earth and and, and accept the fact that they were there forever on this planet. So that's basically, in a nutshell, the book. Oh, sounds interesting. And I was the photo, thinking, the photo was very interesting. It had a, you know describe a lot of the different varieties of animals and their adaptations. And as I say, all of them produce light. And there was a lot of interaction, human stuff that I didn't go into. You know how they people were uh, rebelled against this this um, guy who wanted to uh, break out. They didn't want to do it, and you know factions of fighting and things like that. So it, it was a pretty good book. Well, it sounds a little oh. far-fetched, but, you know, what the heck? Um, you know. I felt like far-fetched in the sense that if these people came from an advanced coast from Earth, why would they suddenly revert to Stone Age living? That, that to me, seemed a little strange. Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of science fiction authors have, have um, you know, gone through that uh, theme, and that's, that's pretty standard. <laughs> Far-fetched um, is what science fiction is all about, isn't it? Well, you know, I don't know about deer with lanterns as as uh, noses. I don't know, but uh, hey. yeah, it has to be far-fetched in a plausible way. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it it has to have some science as a base. Um, well, they I, might have they might have genetically engineered skin that glows like like glowing plants. Yeah, we can do that there's now. There's luminescent fish. Yeah, there's luminescent well, that's fish. True. Yeah, that's fish true. Live in, where there's no light produce their own light. Well, so maybe it's I don't know. Bioluminescent. <laughs> it it did sound a little far fetched. Um, I spent the last month, as I have been spending the past. Several months rereading old favorites, and unfortunately, I spent the the whole month reading fantasy. So, um, but I would like to talk about an old, old favorite of mine, which I think may be still on Bard, but I'm not sure. Um, it's an Arthur C. Clarke, an old one. Um, it's a Fall of Moon Dust. Are you guys familiar with A Fall of Moon Dust? Oh, yeah. Um, when I was in high school. Yeah. Well, um, it's an old classic, and probably the technology is not uh, accurate in all senses, but it's one of my favorite genres uh, in in fiction is a rescue book or a survival book or... Um, what do you call it? A disaster book. Um, but this one is is fairly classic. I mean, it's it's um, takes place on the moon, and the theory is that the moon has seas of dust. This uh, very fine sort of silicon powder kind of thing that um, 
uh, is, you know, many feet deep. And um, they have invented a, a moon bus that is, uh, that uses, um, oh, what do you call it, fan technology. Um, you know, where you have fans that, that lift the, you know, like a hovercraft. Um, I forget the name of the technology. But anyway, uh, the moon bus is, has, these, has a hover technology and it is able to uh, go several inches above the surface of the dust and um, it sets off one day with a load of tourists and of course you get to know all of the tourists and who they are and what they do and what their life story is and, and so forth and as they are uh, traversing this uh, sea of dust they have, a, uh, they have an accident and the bus gets buried several yards underneath the dust. And it's the story of how these people are rescued and what they do to help themselves get rescued and, and uh, so forth. So, um, you know, it's, a, it's an old classic. It's great. Um, yeah, because this, this regolith is just super fine. It's right. It's almost like it's not water, but it's like talcum powder or something. Yeah. Like yeah, that. exactly. So, you know, and then there's a point where they there there's a hole. They start losing air, and what did it? Somebody put a book over the. Yeah, a, yeah. yeah. Put a book over the <laughs> the hole to keep the to keep the air from getting out. And oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. And uh, that they have. Um, oh, what I liked was the 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 activities that they decided to to do while they were waiting to be rescued and how they, you know, they had a, mm -hmm. a committee who decided what they were going to do and what books they were going to read. And, and they had like uh, four books uh, among, uh, you know, 25 people and they made a schedule of who was going to read what books and so forth and so on. And, and, um, but it's also, you know, it is a character study because the the main character, the the pilot, um, grows throughout the story, and of course, there's a romance, and um, you know, the the guy who is doing the rescuing up on top, he also grows, and um, so it's a, it's a uh, I liked it. You know, I've, I've, it's always been one of my absolute favorite books. Was there, was there no danger of them running out of air? Under the yes, dark? there oh, was. Oh, yeah, they did. They started to get low. They were definitely... Yeah, they did. And uh, uh, the rescuers were able to push through a pipe uh, okay. to get them oxygen. And, um, you know, it's all very tense. And, you know... <laughs> but you know Clark, he's going to have his technical stuff worked out. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't magically get there, you know. No. There was something that this reminds me of. Have you guys ever seen a movie called, I think it was The Poseidon Incident or maybe The Poseidon Disaster? Adventure? Poseidon Adventure? Poseidon Adventure. A cruise ship capsizes. Yes. The passengers have to make their way from, well, the main deck has become the bottom deck and they've got to make their way up through the ship 
to the hole so that yep. they can be rescued. And this fall of moon dust kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, it's well, I think it was written about the same time. I think this was the 60s, wasn't it? Yeah, circa 1960-something. Mm-hmm. No, the oh. 70s. Oh, was it 70s? The Poseidon Adventure, yeah, it was in the 70s. Yeah, yeah that was one of those disaster yeah. movies, like yeah. Tower of, in, Towering yeah. Inferno. Towering Inferno. Towering Inferno, yeah. yeah. That was Gene, another yeah. big disaster movie of the 70s. I think Gene Hackman's in it, seemed like Shelley Winters is a cast of others. Oh, uh, but, uh, by the way, I got that uh, clock fixed. It's highlighting. You have to turn highlighting off. That's how I got uh, it. Ah, uh, okay. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention it for anybody that's curious. Um, oh, so, yeah, I, I don't know what reading of Bard, if Bard still has that book, because I'm sure they didn't put the Robert, well, they might have put the Robert Donnelly version up. They did put up his uh, reading of Alvin Toffler's Future Shock, which, which was recorded about the same time, I think. But um, so they might checked. have it up there. We have to, Somebody's going to have to check on I that. Did, and it doesn't. Only, I only see the Frederick Major when DB6 something, something. Oh, Fred Major. Okay, they redid it then. Oh, yeah, right. yeah um, they did. Um, I do happen to have the uh, Robert Donnelly um, version. I uh, Well, let me just say that there's a whole shelf in my hallway up here of uh, reel-to-reel tapes that have um, several uh, books which I uh, purloined <laughs> from Bard. You well, are not from Bard, but from, from NLS. Um, I may not be alone in that. I, uh, I don't I think I not. am. I have a feeling you're not. I don't well, I never had real to real, but I bet some people who did because the quality of real to real is not bad. No, it's not. And I, you know, I have I have things like uh, Alexander Scorby reading Watership Down. I have uh, the Robert Donnelly Fall of Moondust. I have some of the Tolkien trilogy. I have the first two books. Oh, it was I have fun. somebody else's the third book. It was fun listening to Alexander Scorby play the uh, do the robot in um, the radio version of that. Uh, what was it called? And um, the humanoids, where the robots are sent to, to make people happy, and they 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 take over and they don't let people do anything. You know that might be you know make them unhappy. And they can't work and. You know, it, it was fun listening to him play the robot, though. He did a great job. I, I didn't really rec- I didn't remember him as being Scorby until the end, and then I looked it up because uh, they didn't give the actors' names at the end, only at the beginning. It was an X minus one episode. And ah. so I looked it up on, you know, Google afterwards, and yep, it was him. I thought I recognized his voice. So that was a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah. Anybody else want to go next? Yeah, we're digressing. Let me jump in with mine. Okay. Okay, I wanted to tell you about Demon by Daniel Suarez. That's spelled S-U-A-R-E-Z. Oh, that's a good book. I remember that. Demon is spelled D-A-E-M-O-N. And for those of you who know anything about computer programming... Mm-hmm. A demon is a c- 
computer code that just sits there doing nothing until it is triggered by a certain event. Well, in this case, there is a computer genius who makes a very extremely complex demon, and he is dying, and it is triggered by his obituary appearing online, and at that point, the demon comes to life and starts a process that, um, well, I think what it comes down to is it proceeds to start taking over the world, and it doesn't really let anybody stand in its way. It is um, has no compunctions about killing people. In fact, the creator's house has been rigged and booby-trapped so that when the police come to investigate his house, there is a... Uh, self-driving computerized car and SUV that attacks them and starts running them down and kills them. Oh, and pristine. Yet finally, <laughs> when they are able, I think they finally disable that thing with a bazooka. And then they start proceeding toward the house, at which point lawn sprinklers turn on and it seems that they are sprinkling gasoline which is ignited (laughs) and that kills a whole bunch of cops and FBI agents when that burns out it's it's the problem getting in the door when they get in the door well there are other obstacles thrown up and meantime the demon is contacting other people around the world pretty much For example, a newspaper reporter turns on her computer and she is offered a chance to get an exclusive on a really big news story and she can say either yes or no. She says yes and then she starts receiving instructions and by the way, one of the instructions is if you deviate from these instructions, you will be killed. There is someone else who is in prison who the demon manages to change all of his records, so it looks like it's about time for him to be released. And he is released, and he is put into one of these self-driving cars that drives him away. And he is informed that he has to follow instructions very closely, or he will be killed too. And he is turned into a soldier for the demon. Yes, He's an, an assassin. And there are... Well, various other recruits like that. And like I said, the goal of the demon, it's not really made clear, but it does appear that it's to take over the world. But I don't think there is really any mention of what it's planning to do with the world once it takes it over. Hmm. But, uh, there is a sequel. Yeah, that I was getting to that. The, oh, okay. The um, I did I have not read the sequel, but the way it ends is one of the demon's um, strongest enemies, the one who has done the most to fight the demon, is finally recruited, and it ends with pretty much a robot car driving off with him in it, and now he is 
completely recruited by the demon, which, by the way, I won't give away how it does so, but the demon shows that it is, that no matter how good he is at fighting back against it, it is very good at killing him. There is no doubt about the fact that it can kill him by framing him up or whatever, but then it kind of ends with everything unresolved, and I know this is part one, so it does kind of set up for a sequel, and it's kind of, I guess, well, some books come in uh, different genres at the same time. There are overlap of genres. I would say this one is science fiction, yes, but mo- most primarily this is what you would call a techno thriller yeah and yeah it is very much a thriller there are um people getting killed and fighting and so on and so on all through it and there is very strong suspense and it is very technologically oriented well, yeah, he, he, he uses these hypersonic he, – he, I heard about this many years ago, and I don't know what's been done with it since, but he uses, he uses hypersonic sound to, to talk to people, um, and only they can hear him talking because so, he can beam the high-frequency sound directly into their ears, and they cannot – and nobody else knows they're being talked to. Yeah, yeah somebody walks into the house, and there's a simulacrum of – it looks like a person walking toward them. And out of midair comes the voice says, you do not belong here. Get out. And, yeah, that's involved, too. Yeah, I don't know whatever anybody ever did with that because it is actually can be done. Uh, you have really high-frequency sound, and you can aim it very specifically. And then, of course, you can modulate sound on top of that high-frequency sound. And so, but I don't know if anybody's ever done anything with it, but um, it's, it is, he, he does come up with these things that either people have done or are working on. So he's, he's up with, uh, you know, he's up with technological developments. He doesn't, you know, usually make things up out of whole cloth. He starts, you know, with plausible stuff that's going on now, like his self-driving cars that are hacked you know, and they can just come after you, you know. And, and I might mention, this is called Demon, of course, but um, apparently it is also a whole series of interconnected demons because it um, reacts on contingency, such as one event triggers the demon to do something, and that can have more than one outcome, and depending on the outcome, it's triggered to do something else, so it sounds like a a kind of a daisy chain of interconnected demons but i never did figure out what it was planning to do with the world once it took it over well did you read the sequel evan do you know yeah i read the sequel it's called freedom i think it's actually called freedom trademark it's actually got a trademark in the title and does that resolve the issue of what it wants to do with the world um, I don't remember. Oh, okay. uh, I don't. I don't think most people know what they want to do with the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, the whole idea is to get control, and then then they're going to figure it worry out. Worry about it later, I guess. I don't remember, but um, it was it was good though. It was good. It sounds uh, like it should have been a movie. I'm surprised somebody. <laughs> oh, I don't think we need a movie, uh, Sherry. I think 
we've had more than enough demonstrations. Well, I'm not necessarily interested in a movie, but it sure sounds like something that someone would have chosen for a movie. Well, so, so in the sequel, do they send some of those SUVs to Uber, maybe? <laughs> no, no, but I will say, you know, they, they have these movies called The Fast and the Furious, and in every one of them, the, the self-driving cars that get hacked just gets bigger. I think the last one had hundreds of them. Uh, they spent millions of dollars just crashing these cars. What was the name of that car that was in that TV show? That self-driving car. Kit. Kit. Kit? Yeah. Maybe. Oh, yeah. 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 That, that, was, that uh, was a cool car. I wanted one of those. That was a Trans Am. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can't, I, I can't remember the. What, what was the name of the TV show? Though? I can't remember the name of the TV show. It was the one with David Hasselhoff in it. Yeah, ha- Hasselhoff yeah. was the Night Rider. Night Rider. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Roger. Yeah. All right. Well, hey. can I go that next? Is, or, or, or go ahead. The, that, that sounds good. Now, I, I'm talking about a novella. It's it's a little dated at this point. It's a little old. It was published in 1990 uh, by Stephen King at, in a in a in a set of four called four past midnight and the name of the one i'm talking about is called the langoliers anybody ever read that y'all familiar yeah, yeah. with the story oh yeah yeah, yeah. so so yeah, yeah y'all may all be familiar with it but so i i'm just gonna give a quick summary of it but i've i've always liked i'm a huge stephen king fan anyway but i've always liked this story this probably is the closest he's probably come to writing science fiction i think because it opens and uh there's a 767 Boeing that's bound from LAX to Logan uh, in Boston. And all of a sudden, uh, I guess the main character is, is a pilot named Brian Engel, and he's deadheading because he's, he's just been told that his ex-wife has been killed in a fire, so he's going to Boston to, 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 to look into that. And uh, he wakes up on this flight and there's like 11 people left on the plane. So uh, it, it's kind of a character study. There's the 11 people that are left. Of course, you, you've got this, this airline pilot, thank goodness. And then you've got like a, a crazy guy. Uh, of course, you got to have a crazy guy. And then there's a, 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 a Jewish boy that's a musician, a violin player, uh, a, a substance abuse girl. Uh, 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 of course, you've got the fiction writer. I guess it's the Stephen King character that's that's great at trying to figure out what's happened. And there's and and there's a little blind girl, of course, yeah, that's on there too. And that I guess they handle the blindness okay. They they give her good hearing, unfortunately, but then they also give her a. She's got like a sixth sense too, but. Uh, it, it, it turns out they've passed through a rip in time and they are like, they speculate there may be 15 minutes in the past. And, uh, uh, everybody may have already read this. So I may, I may not be sharing anything that I already know about, but the story's good. I think it's, 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 it's got enough, uh, uh, science fiction and it, it's, uh, got enough character study to make it, to make it interesting. But, uh, uh, it turns out that only the people that were asleep when they went through this rip in time are left on the plane. Everybody else, all their possessions are, are still on the plane, like 
watches, jewelry are, are, are in their seats, uh, body parts that were in, or like stuff that was inserted to them in surgery and stuff like that, 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 uh, like mechanical parts are on the, on the seats. So they, uh, uh, the, the, it, 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 they spent a good bit of time trying to figure out, well, man, what is going on here? And where, where did everybody go? And, uh, they end up flying to, uh, to Bangor, Maine, uh, because the, the, the pilot doesn't think, uh, Boston's such a good idea, uh, with everything that's going on. And, uh, and they like in Maine, doesn't he? I thought he did. Yeah, he lives in Maine. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he does. He, he does live in Maine. So there's, there's always that tie-in. Yeah. But uh, but uh, uh, when, when they get on the ground, they realize something is just not right because the the air's different. The 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 uh, the sound is different. Everything's kind of just kind of bizarre. And they they finally figure out that, that they've gone back into time fifteen minutes, and these. These langoliers are, are, are the the little Pac-Man kind of things that are responsible for eating up the, uh, the you know the, the the past and stuff. So uh, uh, they hear this noise that sounds kind of like Rice Krispies has had milk doused on it. So it's this <laughs> crunching kind of sound. It's these 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 little monster things that are eating up the the past that they've kind of flown into. But uh, it's 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 pretty entertaining. It's about eight hours long, I guess. After you, uh, it's, it's 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 a good little you know little story. I mean, I think it was long to to make a book out of it, actually. But uh, uh, anyway, I, I I won't give the ending away. They they, they figure out that they can reverse the the uh, uh, the path the seven sixty seven took and, and go back and try to find that rip so they can drive back through it again. But uh, uh, but I, I, I thought it was very entertaining. It was it was a pretty good story and stuff. So I noticed, Alan, that you were questioning whether uh, this is completely science fiction or if it's borderline science fiction or whatever. I would question that myself because Stephen King has a habit of taking some very science fictional concepts and then throwing something supernatural into it, making you ask, is this really science fiction? And the one you just described, the Langoliers, sounds very much to me like a Twilight Zone episode. And, of course, you know, you always have the question of when you watch the Twilight Zone, are you watching science fiction or um, low fantasy or what? But if you want a Stephen King book, that is science fiction from start to finish. I think I have found that in the Tommy Knockers. I was just going to say, yeah, the Tommy yeah. Knockers is sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tried but to I read thought- the Tommy Tommy Knockers back in the day, and I didn't really like it that much. So, so I, you know, I, I don't. Know. <laughs> so this could ma- be science fiction if you, I mean, had an explanation for why you have something that needs to eat the past. Well, you could come up with something for that. I don't think he did, but but it was a good story. Well, I think he just wasn't clear about it. Mm-hmm. So that's why, yeah, I would agree that it's borderline science fiction. But it reminds me much more of a, um, well, Twilight Zone episodes were very brief and very sketchy. I think the Langoliers 
is a twilight zone that is very much filled out. It's a really a whole complete episode, in other words. But is it really science fiction? I don't know. I bet I Stephen guess. King would be flattered to have it called a Twilight Zone expanded yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't read enough science fiction to to, to, to really get concerned about it. But I, but I know some of y'all do. Uh, well, but, see, I mean, we, we could debate. We could probably debate what science. I think fiction what is. what yeah. happened. What science fiction is has. I think it's changed over the years because if you read some of the stuff that was in the Science Fiction Hall of Fame, like. Uh, it's a good life. Um, I don't know if people would call that science fiction anymore because psychic powers are not generally part of SF the way they used to be. Um, not considered hard SF. I mean, it's pretty soft now. I mean, most of the time now they put it into like supernatural, you know, fiction or whatever. I mean, Bard would put it into the supernatural category probably. Um, Back then, it was much, I mean, Clark and Asimov and Heinlein, everybody used psychic powers, but, but, and they were considered hard SF writers back then. But now, hard SF writers never use psychic powers. I have a problem with psychic powers being considered science fiction, too. But in those old stories in which they were considered science fiction, I think it passes the test because I've talked about this online before. The difference between science fiction and fantasy is that they are both speculative fiction, and as speculative fiction, they ask the question, what if? And then the answer to the question of what if is the story itself, and after the word if would become a fantastic supposition. If the fantastic supposition is assumed within the context of the story to be supernatural, you have a fantasy. If within the context of the story, it is assumed to be a manifestation of reality, after all, science is the study of reality, then it is science fiction. So those psychic powers in that old science fiction, I think the it was assumed within the context of the story that it was a manifestation of reality rather than of um, the supernatural that causes it to pass the test to be science fiction. But with that said, I really don't especially like it. (laughs) Mm. How would you deal with, like, okay, if a story has... A dragon in it. I mean, in a sense, the story could could evolve in such a way that they could explain the existence of dragons. But that's, you know, you usually associate those with fantasy. But I could see where they could be in a sci-fi. Well, if it was genetically engineered in the future. Yeah, uh, something sure. like that, yeah. Do that. Well, that's what uh, Anne McCaffrey. Didn't she do yeah, that? Turn on turn. Yeah. Well, yeah, they evolved naturally there, right? Yeah. No, I, actually, they no. did. I don't uh, remember. I they read most had, if you read the later books, you know the mm-hmm. ones about the origin of, of Pern. Um, they had uh, small flying lizards or whatever, and they genetically engineered them to. Oh, okay. Uh, become dragons. Yeah. To fight uh, the spores, or whatever, right. whatever spores were. Well, that's a really interesting definition. I'm going to keep that in mind, and I think there's going to be crossover, but 
if I find any, I'll send it to the sci-fi list because I think that's an interesting definition. Eric, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say really quickly, Eric Van Lustvader had a series. He's only done three, and he left it hanging, The Pearl Saga, where it's a world where you have both. You have sorcerers and you have science fiction. He crisscrossed his genres every which way. Huh. Yeah, I didn't. I tried the first one. I didn't like oh, it. it I all, did. Oh, I thought they were cool, but they were different. A lot of gratuitous violence and stuff in it. I just didn't get it. In that. I didn't get it. Uh, uh, and he, uh, but you know, I did actually like some of Lust Bader's other nonfiction work that took place in uh, Vietnam and you know oh, Cambodia okay. and places like that. Some of that stuff was pretty good, actually. But that wasn't SF. Um, anyway, do you want to go next, Sherry? Uh, sure, I can do that. Um, okay. I started a couple that I didn't like, but I ended up reading something called City of Truth by James Morrow. And it's only four or five hours long. And, of course, these people live in a city of truth. And I didn't get the sense of whether the whole world's supposed to be like this now, but I, I think it was. And... Um, uh, children at an early age have their brains burned such that if they tell a lie, they will feel pain the rest of their lives. They call it the brisk of the conscience, which I thought was a nice <laughs> phrase. Um, there's some funny things in here, like because of the society is like this, people sign their letters with things like fairly sincerely yours. <laughs> and on many... <laughs> On menus, there's things like murdered cow sandwiches and things like that. But my favorite is a sign in an elevator that says, Warning, this elevator was maintained by people who don't like their jobs. <laughs> but the, the gist of the story is this guy, um, his son gets sick, and he wants, he's torn between lying to his son and telling him that he's going to die. And he comes across a woman he meets who he realizes is, and I forget what they call them, but she has had something done to her such that she can lie. And he finds a whole underground society where pigs fly and they still have Santa Claus and stuff like that. So he takes his son there and gives his son quite a good time. But on the other hand, is it right to constantly live a lie and not tell his son he's going to die? Um, he believes that maybe if his son has positive thinking and doesn't think he's going to die, maybe that will cure him. They have all kinds of things like that going on in this world where it's okay to lie. And so the book, that's kind of the gist of the book is whether or not one society is better than the other. And, uh, you know, you come to the conclusion that a little bit of both is probably the best. And so it was a pretty good book. Not great, but pretty good. It was amusing in parts and, and it was it was okay. So how, how did they handle, like, white lies and stuff? Or, or oh, that's not good either. You can't even okay. lie by omission. Okay, all right. So, so yeah. Oh, my. Well, yeah, I, it's I pretty hate, stringent. Yeah. I, okay. I hate to be a pilot, but uh, what is truth? Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fake news and all that, yes. Uh, <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty timely, come to think of it. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of timely, yeah. yeah. Is it really, uh, is it new or has it been around for a while? You know, I was going to look up the copyright before I got on here and I forgot to do that, so I don't know. I can look it up later and, and send something to the list. So what, what's it called? What's the title City, of Truth, City of and Truth. And it's by okay. James Morrow, M-O-R-R-O-W. And again, it's only four or five hours long. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, we know who who, who isn't the president there. So anyway. Or else he's taking a lot of painkillers. Well, speaking of of sending things to the list, did you guys get the information I sent you this past week? Oh, I don't recall any. About the, um, yeah, I never saw the copies come through. Nope. But, um... The Did it last, go to, 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 the S, to the SF list? Did it go? Yeah, I, I sent it to the SF list, but it didn't go anywhere. No, because I don't think I've got any post. Okay. Well, what it was about was the last uh, two or three podcasts on the uh, Eyes on Success, and they were talking about uh, tactile and audio representations strong, of strong. Uh, the universe and various stars and phenomena like that. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating. And I wanted you all to know about it. And um, I'm sorry you didn't get them. Because, yeah. uh, you know, it was. But if you look, um, you know, on, on your podcast lists or whatever, if you look up Eyes on Success, you'll find the last uh, three podcasts are about. I think the first two are on audio uh, or on um, tactile representations of the universe and stars and, you know, planets and stuff like that. And then the the third one is on audio um, representations of the universe. So it was really, really interesting. So I I sent it off to you guys, but apparently it it didn't – didn't take. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't so did, know if I, I got it or not. What with power outages, ISP outages, and doctor's appointments lately, I have fallen way behind in my email. I have about 500 emails to get to, and I'm about four days behind. Oh, <laughs> so it may be in there somewhere. <laughs> so did, I doubt it, though, because I didn't see it, and uh, nobody else has seen it. Did, did the, the reminder I sent out today about tonight's meeting? Did, did that yeah, make that it? went out. Yeah, did I saw that. that. Okay, well, good. Okay. Well, what I may do is is resend because okay. uh, I have like four email addresses, and I might have sent it from the wrong email address. Yeah, that's, that's always possible. So. Yeah, autocomplete might have taken over and sent it to the wrong list. Yeah. Right. So the just to to. Uh, uh, make sure I have the address correct. What is the address for the email list? It's sfclub at freelists.org. Sfclub. I'm pretty that's sure. One is that word? right, Alan? That sounds right, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. sfclub at freelists.org. Okay. All right. Well, I will see what I can do about resending them. Well, David, do you want to go next or do you want to go last? Um, I can go next. I don't have a lot to say. Okay. I um, I did read a book recently called All Rights Reserved and posted a book review on something called the DB Review List, but decided it's, it's not really – it's more dystopian than science fiction, so we won't deal with it. Yesterday, I read the third book in a series. It was called Time Warp, and it was written by Jude Watson. I think the previous two books were written. One was by Scott Westerfeld, and I can't remember who did the first one. It's, a, it's I think, going to be a series. Six-part series. What happened is these kids were flying 
um, to Japan to attend a robot engineering like conference. They were in a robot group, the science club thing, and they're real nerdy kids. And the plane crashes, and most of the people on it disappear. And these kids have to survive in the Arctic. But it's in this man-made, strange sort of wilderness with red sand and strange animals and strange laws of physics. All I'll say is I don't even know what it's what's causing it because they're they're dragging it out. It has an internet a website where you can go play the game. So it's an elaborate, probably an elaborate multimedia type thing for middle grade kids. And I, I don't even know why I was reading it because it's a little too young for me. But now I'm in it so deep that I, I'm going to have to probably finish it. It's, it was only four and a half hours. I'll have to finish the series because I want to know what on earth is going on in the Arctic. The book I will mention is the one that I would have liked to have talked about tonight. It's by Ian Douglas. It's the second one in his Andromedan Dark series, but I've only read three and a half hours because it hit more just yesterday and it, the, the people are four billion years into the future and they're visiting what they think is Earth and they're learning that this Andromedan Dark Matter intelligence I forget exactly, it's a super smart AI, I believe and it is coming for them. It's sort of a far distant SF book of the kind that I suspect Evan might like and so I'll probably finish it later. I just am not far enough into it to tell you much more about it, I'm afraid. It's DB92309. What's the title again? It's called Falling Dark, A Falling Darkness, DB92309 by Ian Douglas. It's, oh yeah, I read that. I liked yeah. it. Yeah, I bet you you may have gotten it either on Audible or Bookshare because it just hit board yesterday. It's the sequel to Altered Starscape. That's Bookshare it. Had it. Bookshare had it months ago, and yeah. I read it when it came out of Bookshare because I didn't want to wait until Bard got it to find out what happened. Now, I really liked it. <laughs> is it going to be another book, do you think? Or yeah. is that it? Oh, it's going to oh, keep yeah, probably. Yeah, oh, I think Lord. so. Oh, I'm looking for I mean, this guy's a military SF writer, uh, but oh, uh, it's not loaded. Yeah. Not loaded with military, though. I mean, there's some, but it's not as much as I thought. He just talks a lot about far out aliens, and he's got a sense of wonder in it. I liked it. I mean, it's It's not better better writing, I'll be honest. But okay, I guess I'll talk. uh, I know we're getting late, so I'll try to speed through. But um, I read a couple of books lately that I read many years ago, and one of them's not on Bookshare yet, so I guess um, I won't talk about that one because it's being proofread by somebody. The other one was on Bard, though, and it's um, called Count Zero by William Gibson. And um, I really liked um, Neuromancer, and uh, it won all the awards that it should have won, and any that it didn't win, it should have. But um, we actually did that book for the club but count zero was the sequel and it didn't get that much attention i don't think because count you know neuromancer was so good i think it was one of those situations where you read this super fantastic book and then if you write something as good or even almost as good it doesn't get as much attention if it had come out first i think it would have you know gotten the awards that neuromancer got but it's not it's a sequel but it's not a direct sequel in the sense that the same characters aren't in it, except for one. Um, it's set in a kind of a dystopian world. It's this, it was, you know, this is the classic cyberpunk stuff. Um, you know, he, he and uh, Bruce Sterling and Lewis Shiner and Pat Cadigan and all did, they founded the cyberpunk movement back in the eighties. 
and this is this is this this book was one of the classics of the of the genre and I'm not that into punk stuff but I was really into the cyber because they really had some imaginative stuff going on and this book is part of that um because in neuromancer the plot was this AI actually split AI um wants to break out of its confines it wants to be put together so that it can break the restrictions that were built into it and that was the plot and at the end i'm not spoiling anything cuz most people who have read it will want to read it who who wanted to read it have read it and those who haven't well it's still a great book even if you know how it turns out um it succeeded at the end so the ai is loose and now it's of course it's split up there's a whole bunch of ais in the second book and so and and so rather than give the the whole plot because i know it's late um there are actually three plots that come together um there's a lot of corporate stuff there doesn't seem to be much federal government going on i mean i don't even know if it's even mentioned in the second book um it's there's a lot of corporate espionage because there's this new new chips coming out biochips that are better than the silicon you know they they're smarter and faster and they can do more stuff and and this woman this this corporate uh scientist's daughter gets away you know he he plans to defect from a corporation and one of the one of the three plot lines is how this is told from the point of view of this guy who's that's his job is to get people who want to defect from one corporation to another and he's got to smuggle them out and he's got security people and he's got weapons and he's got aircraft and he's got you know camouflage everything so he can get them out and get them to the other company that wants to wants their talent see this is kind of what what happens today only a lot worse i mean actually companies today like apple and google and some of the others have no poaching agreements but you know if they really wanted to you know go after people you know this is what it might turn into if there was no you know government around to regulate them which is you know kind of what seems to be happening in in Gibson's universe so anyway um and everything's got a brand name on it this was back when people thought the japanese were going to own the world you know before the, you know after they thought the arabs were going to own the world in the 70s people thought in the 80s it was going to be the japanese and so all of his stuff, you know, he's got the cyberspace decks, you know, and you actually connect, you jack in, you know, and you actually mentally go there. You know, it's not I mean, he still has keyboards. This is one of the, kind of one of the anomalies because apparently you can't send commands, but you can receive all this data, but you still have to have a keyboard to navigate around. Um but um so it's and there and it's all you know a lot of corporate stuff, but there's a lot of you know drugs. A lot of people are, I mean, most of them in this book aren't taking them, but it's, you, you can definitely tell there's a lot of it around. And there's a lot of you know people living in projects. You know the cities are, you know, sprawling out and they're kind of dilapidated, except you know where the wealthy people live. They live in the high rises. You know that you can see from the projects, and. Um, so, but there are three plots, and you know the wealthy, the really wealthy, aren't even really human anymore. They're living so they live with you know with computers, and you know this one one of the main characters is, hires this woman to find something for him, and he's wealthy. He's got cancer, and he lives in a vat, you know, and he wants to get out, and he thinks, oh yeah, he's he's, he's, 
lives in simulations all the time and you know he's he's really smart but 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 Gibson makes it really kind of scary this guy you know he's watching all the time and his minions just show up when they need to and you know it gets it's a little creepy you know how capable these wealthy people really are when they've got you know all this you know computing capability and uh, you know uh, connections to the net and all the people they can buy and you know they can just you know they can watch everything and they can predict what you're going to do and oh man and the writing style of course is the cyberpunk writing style you know it's loaded with information it's very dense and you know so um i I, if you like neuromancer you have to you really want to read this and there's a sequel to it of course the mona lisa overdrive that's i was going to ask you that i thought there was there is it's called mona lisa overdrive i'm actually reading that one now uh i don't know why it took bard so long to get these did i know see that's the thing that's why i like count zero so much i should have said i actually read it in asimov's when it was a serial back in 1986 And I didn't, hadn't even read Neuromancer yet. I'd heard about it, but nobody had it recorded or anything. So it blew me away because it was the first book I read um, from Gibson, and it was a sequel when the AIs are already loose. And it's really interesting how they manifest themselves because some of the people are, you know, like into voodoo and stuff. And when you when you jack into cyberspace, these AIs kind of manifest as voodoo gods. You That's know, they what say, hey, I'm an AI. They say, I'm the god, you know, I'm the god of communication, or I'm the, I'm Don Bala, the horse, you know, and stuff like that. They don't manifest as literally AIs. That they manifest as part of the religion of the people who, you know, who are jacking in. That was kind of a neat idea. But they know it, you know, they know it. They're not, you know, totally, but they, they know it, but they buy, they agree to it you know what i mean they know these are ais and how they manifest but you know and they talk about that somewhat because some of the people are scoffing at it and you know they you say it's this religion and stuff but he's like yeah yeah we know but you know so anyway i it's a really really good book but it is dark you know it's kind of like what happens you know um in a future that kind of more you know it's like what we have now in some ways only the corporations are even more powerful the government's weak and you know there's a lot of you know you know people are shooting you know there's a lot of security and they're shooting you know people you know the defection goes wrong and you know one of his agents betrays him and there's a lot of shooting and there's some action there and he's pursued because people want this girl who's got these biochips in her head that her father put in there because he was supposed to be the one to defect and give this stuff to a Japanese company. and But he sent his daughter out because he wanted to get her away from the company because they were going to use her, you know, and try to, you know, get her to, um, you know, yield up her secrets because he didn't tell them everything. That's why he was defecting. He didn't want to give them, you know, the stuff. But anyway, she can jack in without a cyberspace deck because of the stuff she's got in her head. And she helps this other one of the other plot characters escape from being killed by um, uh, a nasty computer attack because he tries to break. He gets this software and he's supposed to try to break into this company because these people give it to him. They want to see how it works, but they don't tell him that this is how things work. He's just a rube, you know, and he wants to be one of the big players. And so he takes this stuff and tries it out, but he doesn't know, you know, how dangerous it is because they don't tell him and they, you know. Anyway, 
it was really, really good, but it's dark, as I said, but, but there's a lot of imagination in it. It's, you know, there's even some sense of wonder, you know, so if you like, you know, that sort of thing, I mean, some of that is really good. I think Gibson was probably the best, him and Sterling, anyway. So, anyway, that was Count Zero by William Gibson on Bard and on, I guess, some bookshare. I never even checked. Read by James D. Lotel. I wonder what ever happened to him. I mean, he was good. He was good. Well, so, I guess we've all had our we've had all had our books. Yeah, I just have one quick question. Has anybody talked to Mary? Not in a few weeks. I tried calling her last week, David and I, and she didn't. He tried. Me. Yeah. Dude. We had talked to her maybe the week before week or two before two weeks, two weeks before I think she was sounding pretty weak at that time oh dear well, well she did say she was not going to get any treatment right except palliative yeah she has hospice there she said so she yeah. was getting round the clock yeah nursing oh yeah. dear well that sounds like she was diagnosed at a pretty late stage sounds so like she yes. might be gone by now it's, it's possible it's possible it's possible Okay. Well, I just was curious. So, all righty. Well, well guys, I'm off to bed. I'm gonna. I got some stuff I got to do tomorrow. Well, yeah. Resend that stuff when you can tomorrow. Okay. Uh, from from the you know the tactile. Uh, stuff. Yeah, I'll do that. But all righty. It's, it's uh, eyesonsuccess.net. All righty. Okay. Okay. So our next meeting will be on Thursday. December, what the heck is it? 13th. The 13th. Yes, thank you, Sherry. So hopefully we'll see you all back here then, and we will talk about some more books. And It's been a lot of fun. I like this Zoom better than the old stuff. I really like it. Yeah. Uh, it just makes things feel so much more natural. Well, everybody have a good Thanksgiving two weeks All right, from tonight. Yeah. Guys, take yeah. care. Bye. We'll see you all. Thanks. Good night. Good night, Good night, Sherry and Ann and Alan and Roger. Good night. Good night, Good David night. and everybody. Oh.